Today's news begins with these tips to stay healthy. How very many people suffer with tender feet, and yet this is very easily removed by bathing the feet in cold water, to which has been added some ammonia and a little bay rum. Meanwhile, it is not freely known that perfumes are most helpful in preventing contagion and certain diseases. Finally, to clean the hands, nothing is better than a free use of lemon juice. Yes, these handy hints from the newsletter, an Australian paper for Australian people. For Saturday, March 12, 1910, this was the news. This was the news is a fortnightly podcast that takes the news from this date many years ago and shares it with you in one news piece. Torn from pages across Australia, I'm Broderick Matthews with the newspapers from yesterday recycled for your pleasure. Today's episode of This Was The News is bringing you the news of March 12, but from back in 1910. At this point in time in Australia, a diphtheric epidemic was raging in Sydney and the suburbs, where the spread of infection had been traced to milk in the majority of instances. Meanwhile, dominating the paper was news about the upcoming federal election, which was to come in April, and would see Andrew Fisher form the first majority Labor government. Let's go to a full story now with this story on stamps from the advertiser in Adelaide, South Australia. A postal anomaly which does much to discredit Australia abroad is the continued use, after nine years of the reign of King Edward, of the effigy of the late Queen Victoria on the postage stamps of the different states. Even the new picture postcards are impressed with the Queen's head. This is an extremely bad advertisement for Australia and is the source of much ridicule. Yes, you can just imagine everyone laughing at us overseas with our old stamps. Well, according to this writer, it's true. When I was writing to a relative in Rome last year, says the writer, everyone who saw my letters exclaimed, A queen's head when you have a king? Why is that? When it was explained, perhaps, that the old stamps and the old dyes had to be used up, the critics would remark, Ah, eight years since your queen died and not used up yet? What a funny country Australia must be, and how few people there must be living there. Yes, that's right, not using up our stamps. How ridiculous. In America and Canada, the article continues, the continued use of the Queen's head stamps by Australia is the source of open jests. My relatives, says the writer, say they are ashamed of constantly trying to excuse and explain it. They say it results in a slur being cast upon the Commonwealth. They have made a study of the subject under the irritation of the criticisms launched at the postal authorities, and they assert that the Commonwealth is the only country in the British Empire which does not outwardly acknowledge His Majesty King Edward on its postage stamps. How dare we indeed use up the old stamps before we get the new ones? But uh, that's apparently a source of embarrassment back in 1910. Let's turn the page now for a few stories, though, that uh, serve for some embarrassment with uh, these strange pieces of news coming from the police reports. The Standard in Port Melbourne was reporting on truancy cases. 
Truant Inspector Beeching appeared against a number of parents and guardians on Monday morning for failing to send their children to school the number of days required by law. In a large number of instances, the inspector found that the children had entered factories on certificates. When found out, they used the same certificate to enter elsewhere. In one instance, a child, aged 12 years and 5 months, had been engaged at the Babes in the Wood pantomime at 14 shillings a week, which is about $100 in today's money and just a quarter of the wage of an average factory worker at the time. The article continues to say that the 12-year-old has now left the state with the theatre company. Meanwhile, for the parents of those truant children, they were issued fines ranging from 2 shillings to 10 shillings, which is about 15 to $70 if we were to put that uh, money in today's terms. Small fines, really, from a job that doesn't exist anymore, truant inspector. Meanwhile, this piece from the Casino and Kyogle Courier was uh, reported in New South Wales on Mr Saxelby's accident. Further particulars concerning the accident to Mr Cedric Saxelby explain that the unfortunate young man was driving the cream coach from Sanderlands and was getting off at his home at the 10 mile, when, in descending from the van, he touched one of the horses, which lashed out and kicked him in the face. Mr Saxelby fell across the swingle bar and the startled horses bolted, dragging the coach for some distance until it struck a post and it turned over on top of the injured man. Mr Saxelby had a miraculous escape and though he is badly knocked about, it is hoped that his injuries will not be permanent. Very early version of the car accident there, the coach accident from startled horses. And the final article in this little section on law and order comes from the Evening News in Sydney. At the Forbes quarter sessions, Ellen Jones, aged 24, was charged with having attempted to cause poison to be taken by Keith Grant. It appears that about October 4 last, a cardboard box containing chocolates was posted at Forbes addressed to Keith Grant. The box got broken in the post office and one of the postal officials ate a chocolate and subsequently suffered from strychnine poisoning. think it serves them right, really, if they're going to help themselves to someone else's package. The article continues to say that the chocolates were then found to contain strychnine. Surprising, really, when they suffered from strychnine poisoning. Ellen Jones, the sender of the parcel, was charged with having sent the chocolates, but after a trial lasting two days, she was acquitted. So there you go, an interesting little story there. And while Ellen Jones may not have been punished, you could say that the postmasters got their just desserts. Let's have a short break for some advertisements now. There's something about Four Acre and Wasser's famous Cambridge sausages. Having secured for some years past a first-class reputation for sausage-making, Messrs Fouracre and Wass are now supplying the public of the South West District with the world-renowned Real Cambridge Sausages, which, with that piquant flavour, are being manufactured on the premises under strict supervision, from absolutely nothing but the finest of green-picked herbs, specially selected spices and first-quality meat all carefully prepared by skilled and well-experienced hands. The popular demand for these Cambridge sausages is a sufficient guarantee that the goods are of the genuine order. 
The machinery and plant is the largest and most up-to-date electric plant in the southwestern district. These well-known Cambridge sausages are only obtainable at Messrs Fouracre and Wasser's establishments on Victoria Street, Bunbury, South Bunbury, Bustleton and Waruna. Don't diet. Your body needs all kinds of food to supply the numerous demands it has. That's why nature gives us such a generous variety. Eat all your appetite calls for. That's what your appetite is for, to let you know what elements of nutrition you really need. Eat all you want. Dr Sheldon's digestive tabules will digest it and make a new person of you. They will give you strength, new life, new ambition and enable you to enjoy living as you've never enjoyed it before. Price of two and six per tin of 80 tabules. Obtainable at D. Copland & Co's and G. Mumford's Wagga. Welcome back to This Was The News with all the stories from Saturday, March 12, back in 1910. This next article comes from The Leader in Orange, New South Wales. Usually when the light of day first meets a child's eyes, he is lying contentedly on a soft bed. But originality is a characteristic of the Australian. One sturdy boy selected the step of the Mossman tramcar on Wednesday morning for his birthplace. His mother had been running some distance to catch the car just prior to the event. I love this, that a nine-month pregnant woman running to catch the tram and then has the baby on board. The article goes on. Naturally, the arrival was heralded with much excitement among the passengers, and, as it was unwise to move the patient, the tram driver called for volunteers among the lady passengers to ensure that the mother did not slip off the step while the car proceeded to a doctor's residence. This is fantastic in my head. The woman's had a baby and we need to make sure she gets to a doctor. But of course, there's no car or ambulance to take her. So the most logical solution is to keep her on the tram. And how are we going to keep her on the tram? By asking some ladies to hold her on board. Well, unfortunately, as the article says, the ladies, one and all, refused to lend any assistance. There was, however, one solitary man on the car and he came forward and proffered his aid. Medical skill was soon secured. As the mother was being removed, she almost abstractedly remarked, Dear, dear, and we haven't decided upon a name. The doctor smiled. Call him Johnson, he said, as a compliment to the railway chief. The article doesn't say whether the baby was called Johnson, but uh, what a story to tell, being born on a tram. Let's turn the page now, this time to an article from the Burrungong Argus in New South Wales, entitled Plucking Poultry, Hints to amateurs. The plucking of poultry is often a source of trouble to amateurs. The following hints may be useful. Poulterers all adopt what is termed dry picking. The system can be adopted by novices in the case of old birds, but with young birds the skin is usually torn. The plucker should be seated, holding the bird between the knees, breast uppermost, the body sloping and the head hanging, which allows the blood to drain. Adepts commence at the breast, then turn the bird over, plucking the back and part of the neck, following with the wings and finally the thighs and tail. 
The following method, known as scalding, is to the amateur much the easier way of denuding the fowls of their feathers, and is largely practised in America. The water should be as near boiling point as possible, but not boiling. Hold the bird by the head and legs and immerse. Lift up and down a few times, according to the density of the plumage. When taken out and held by the legs with the left hand, the mass of wet feathers can be removed in a couple of minutes with but the smallest effort. Some articles really don't need uh, much commentary at all. Let's turn the page now, though, to the Cairns Post with an article entitled Quite Orthodox. I will take this opportunity before I read the article to state that this was the news reads the articles as they were written in the papers. So this piece is definitely a reflection of 1910, but listeners today may find it racist, especially those who are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. The article from the Cairns Post says, The intellect of the average Australian black usually becomes clouded when he is ushered into the presence of a court of law. The sight of the stately judge, the formidable array of counsel, the sedate, orderlies and everything else which goes to constitute the hall of justice usually have an awe-inspiring effect on the native, and it is generally with difficulty he can be sworn. This is difficult to swear someone in, especially when English isn't their first language as well, but let's gloss over that and keep going on the article. In the district court yesterday afternoon, there was an Aboriginal witness, but he was as a shining light in the gathering darkness. He did not have to be pushed into the witness box, nor was a question addressed to him more than once, or at least most of the questions. In reply to his honour, the witness said he used to attend church when he was at a mission settlement. Do you know where you will go if you do not tell the truth? asked his honour. I will go to hell if I do not speak the truth, was the quiet reply of the black fellow. And amidst the laughter that ensued in the court, his honour remarked, quite orthodox. Mm, an interesting article of the day and potentially some language used that was considered quite orthodox for the time. But I have to say it is concerning when even in 1910 it's noted that Aboriginal people in Australia are making appearances in court, uh, enough that it's worth noting in the paper. Let's take a short break from that now and hear from some advertisements from this day in 1910. Why Bile Beans Excel? Bile beans for biliousness are the product of a modern scientific research and therefore thoroughly up to date. They do not merely purge, giving temporary relief only and leaving the patient weakened, like the out-of-date so-called remedies of 40 or 50 years ago, which contain probably aloes, mercury and other harmful drugs. No, bile beans, without the slightest discomfort, prompt the liver and digestive organs to act in nature's normal way, leaving those organs strengthened and stimulated to continue the performance of their duties without further assistance. They produce a gentle action on the bowels, curing or preventing constipation, cleansing the stomach and ridding the system of all impurities. Bile beans are purely vegetable, they do not contain any harmful drugs and they are the standard family medicine. 
File beans are approved remedy for biliousness, headache, indigestion, constipation, piles, debility, female ailments, bad blood, pimples, bad breath, anemia, loss of appetite, and all ailments that owe their origin to the defective liver, stomach, and digestive action. Bile beans are obtainable from all chemists and stores at one shilling and one and a half pence and two shilling nine pence per box, containing three times the smaller one. Do not gamble with your health by accepting substitutes. Take bile beans for biliousness. Welcome back to This Was The News, reporting from March 12, 1910. And we move on to fashion news now with this from the Casino and Kyogle Courier. The well-dressed woman. Dowdiness in any form should be condemned, and the woman who brings a touch of colour to dispel our atmosphere of eternal greyness is as welcome as flowers in spring. The beneficial effect of colour upon the general health is now fully established. And then, again, the consciousness of looking bright makes us feel bright too. And that little inner feeling of innocent self-satisfaction derived from the possession of the new hat or the pretty blouse imparts a little sparkle to the conversation too. The well-dressed woman is sure to please. I enjoy reading that article, particularly because many of the things mentioned there probably have some psychological backing now when we're in the 2020s. But back in 1910, it was really just uh, someone writing what they thought. Another article on fashion called A Destroyer of Beauty. If you have any consideration for your beauty, to say nothing of your health, beware of falling into the habit of breathing through the mouth or of keeping the lips parted constantly. Parted lips may be very dramatic at the psychological moment, but seriously, this attitude of the mouth is not generally becoming, and nowadays might lead to a suspicion that the practice is caused by adenoids or a careless disregard of proper breathing, rather than as a point of beauty. Yes, folks, did you know that? There's a proper way of breathing. The article continues, Watch your lips, for it is around the mouth that unbridled tempers and other faults of our natures are quick to show, and even red lips are not beautiful unless the lines of the mouth are good. So a tip there indeed, folks, for you fashion-conscious people, make sure you keep your lips together when you breathe. Let's turn the page now to entertainment news with this piece on the King's Pictures from the Albany Advertiser in Western Australia. On Monday and Tuesday next, the management of King's Pictures will present their 12th grand program. The bill to be submitted is the most diversified yet screened by the company. And here come the list of films that you can see, folks. Fishing with Dragnets is a fine industrial subject illustrating the fishing industry off Newfoundland. Jane of Montressa is a thrilling romance of the time of Cardinal Richelieu. Miss Annette Kellerman presents the clever Australian swimmer and diver in an exhibition of fancy swimming and high diving. Yes, folks, did you know there's such a thing as fancy swimming? Well, you could have seen it at King's Pictures. Also showing was A Tribe of Nomads, which is an interesting natural colour study of the wandering bands that are common in southern Algeria. The second series of Australian Views shows the inner working of the Royal Alexandra Hospital for Children, 
Dr Nicola in Tibet is another weird creation based on Guy Boothby's story. The story of the ring is a splendid story of circus life. The Senorita is a magnificent drama of Mexican chivalry. The comics are exceptionally side-splitting and include The Obstinate Mule, The Free Theatre Pass, A Midnight Adventure and He Fell in Love with His Wife. Hilarious. Let's finish off the news from amusements to weather with this piece from the Wagga Wagga Advertiser. Ideal weather has been experienced locally the last two or three days. The sun has shone brightly and cool breezes have blown so that the air has been beautifully fresh and free from the oppressiveness of the summer months. At night especially has the change been appreciated, no difficulty being occasioned in going to sleep on account of sultry atmosphere and pestering mosquitoes. And with that good bit of weather and the mozzies gone, it's time to close up the paper for today. With stories of plucking poultry and outdated stamps for March 12, 1910, this was the news. This Was The News is a podcast spoken and edited by Broderick Matthews. All source material is taken from the reference newspapers and found online through the National Library of Australia's Trove website. Links to each of the articles mentioned today can be found in the show notes. The theme music is from Beethoven's Symphony No. 6 and sourced under public domain from newsopen.org. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to subscribe and review it on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcasting app. This Was The News can be followed on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and any email correspondence should be sent to thiswasthenews at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. The next episode will be out in a fortnight, released on Thursday 26 March. I'm Broderick Matthews and this was The News.